refreshing it is to get a good cold glass of water when you're thirsty. We kind of talked last week about the idea of thirst and the deer panting by the water brooks. And I thought about how church is kind of that way sometimes. You come and you may have had a really difficult week and, and you can just find a, a something that's really refreshing, that kind of gives you the strength to go on to, uh, through the rest of your next week and, and we continue to come and be refreshed. And with that thought, I, I kind of want to uh, submit to you that I think that what we're fixing to do here on Sunday mornings for a while, I don't know how long, but I kind of feel like it's meant to be a period of refreshing, not so much on a weekly basis where you just get refreshed once and you go through the week and you're ready to be refreshed again, but more of a, the idea of a season of your life. And we're going to be, I'm going to be taking you through what is probably going to be the largest and most exhaustive sermon series that I have ever preached, and quite frankly, that I've ever listened to. The reason, one of the reasons I haven't preached this series is, for one, I haven't felt led to, but I think one of the reasons I hadn't felt led to until now is that it is a long series. It may be 10 or 12 sermons. That's a long time to do a series on a Sunday morning. But I believe if God will help me, and if it is God breathed and God's vision for us, that it's going to be one of the most refreshing things that many of you Christians have ever been through in your life. If you'll stick it out with me, we're going to study God's grace. That's what we're going to do. And believe me, it will take 10 or plus weeks to thoroughly and fairly deal with God's grace. His grace is so vast, it is so huge, and we've learned to put it into one simple, canned statement. It's the unmerited favor of God. You know, and if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you probably know that, that that's what grace is. But I think that we've simplified it so much that we begin to lose its application to our life. And I want to preach to you a series that I have titled, The God of Triumphant Grace. That word triumphant, it means that it finishes what it started to do. It means there's nothing that can come against it. It means that it stands victoriously against every enemy, against every attack, against everything that would seek to destroy it. And I want to tell you this morning, God's grace is triumphant. It does what it sets out to do. In the very first sermon this morning, I'm going to give you probably some really brief stuff. Stuff that you've heard before, but it's important that we lay the foundation correctly. I'm, if I was kind of giving you an analogy of what this morning's going to be, it's more of a shotgun blast that kind of hits a little bit of everything. It sort of lays the foundation. But in the weeks to come, we're going to deal very specifically. In one morning, we'll deal with the sustaining power of God's grace. In other words, God's ability to hold us up and to keep us His own even no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're doing, we're going to look at the sustaining power of God's grace. One week we'll look at the changing power of God's grace. That God's grace, when it's properly applied, actually changes us. It doesn't just overlook every wrong thing we've ever done. It changes us from the inside out. We're going to look at the reality that God's grace is greater. That where sin did abound, grace did abound all the more. And not only sin that happens towards us, but sins that we commit. 
God's grace is greater than all of our sins. And we're going to look at the greatness of God's grace. We're going to look together at our grace. The grace of God in us. That God expects us to give to other people. And in five or six weeks, we're going to deal with the reality of our need to be gracious with one another. And if God has given us grace in our errors and in our faulty ways of thinking and in our selfishness and in our pride, how much more should we give grace to one another? We're going to look at the greatest stage that grace has ever trod in two parts. The cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. And then finally, we're going to deal with the triumph of grace. The end of grace. The, 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 the place that grace is taking us to, and that being our eternal home in heaven. And I'm really excited about this. I, I hope that what we do, I mean, I, I hope it's like jumping in that cool pool. I pray that it's like getting you a cold glass of water when you're thirsty. And one of the things I'm really excited about this series, before I jump into the text, is that the whole thing's about God. Now listen, there's, we, we, there, we need to preach about a lot of things. We need to teach about a lot of things. Sometimes I've got to preach and teach about man. I preached a sermon just weeks ago called, What is Man? And I, I, the whole subject was on man. There, there, there's a time and a place for preaching against sin and repentance and, and, and preaching on those things. But there's also a time and a place where we just stop and preach about God. I'm telling you, when we preach about God, it's encouraging because we serve the, the one and only living God. But I'm telling you, He's awesome. His grace is sufficient. He is so good. And when, when, when we can understand how good He is, all of a sudden, all this other stuff that's bad, we understand our God is greater. It's not that we're not in a world of battle. It's not that there is no conflict. It's just that our God's bigger than that. And I'm excited to be preaching about God for the next couple of months. This morning I've chosen for the text 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. I'll ask you to stand to your feet in the honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning. I'm going to do my best to have the Scripture and a presentation for you each morning as I'm going through this. If you do not have your Bible, you can read along with us on the screen. Let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, this morning we love You. Because You are a good God. And Father, we just pray You'd help us to give You our hearts totally, completely. I thank You for Your presence here this morning. God, it's already been refreshing for me. And Lord, as I have did my best to answer Your call, to step up to the daunting task of properly portraying the greatness of Your grace, I acknowledge I need Your help. God, that... I need You to anoint me to teach and preach in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, I pray that You would refresh us, Your people, this morning and in the days and weeks and months to come as we study the goodness of Your grace. 
I pray this morning, if there be any here, God, that have not accepted Your grace, that have not come to know You in the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day that they would repent of their sins and come to You. Lord, we just ask that You have Your way. Please, Lord, glorify Yourself. Show us Your glory. Help us to see it this morning, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, just another brief side note. If you missed Sunday school this morning, you missed it. Not trying to be rude either, but if you were outside talking while we were in here having Sunday school, you missed it. God really showed up this morning. I want to encourage you to start coming to Sunday school and get involved and get connected. They were talking a little bit about suffering. I sing about our text. This is my chosen text. After you have suffered a while, God will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Sometimes we've got to go through a little bit of suffering. Sometimes it's in that place when we're suffering a little bit, God shakes us up, and all of a sudden we just hear a little bit better than what we heard the week before. And we spend some time listening to God and not just telling God what we think God needs to hear. But a great Sunday school message this morning on the reality of God being with us no matter what we go through, persecution, trial, suffering, and it was good. God's been with us since we got started this morning, and I've really appreciated that. I want to preach to you today part one, the God of all grace. And I tell you that He owns all of it. All grace comes from God. The idea of grace, the emotion of grace, the giving of grace, it's not something that any of us do naturally in a true, full way, the way that God does. God alone is the God of all grace. This morning, by way of introduction, I want to ask you the question, what is grace? Most of us know, but but some don't, and I think it's important that I that I define it and that we understand the term grace. If we're going to be using that word and that term for the next two months, what, what does grace mean? Well, first of all, I want you to know that grace and mercy go hand in hand. And I almost decided to preach a sermon series titled The God of Mercy and Grace. But I want to deal exhaustively with grace and grace alone the best I can. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is when God chooses not to punish us for something we have done wrong. We deserve a punishment. We have done wrong. And God says, I will relent. I will give you mercy and not punish you for what you have done wrong. See, I have to do this with my son about three times a day. I'm one of the most merciful fathers you'll ever meet. I tell my son to call me Mr. Mercy. But here's the difference between mercy and grace. Grace is when God gives us something good, significant. It's when He lavishes favor upon us. And in order for it to be grace, it has to be undeserved. The moment that it becomes deserved, It's no longer grace. It's a reward. There's a difference between a reward and grace. 
When I try to explain this in a way that kind of makes sense, just in a, in, the, in a very common terminology that we might understand in our day in our culture, you work. If you work, you work at a job and you put in your time, and eventually you get a paycheck. But see, you expect that paycheck. Why? Because you showed up, and put in your time. It's not that your boss was being extremely gracious in writing you a check every two weeks. He owes you a check every two weeks, and he hasn't really given you anything you didn't work for. But grace says, I'm going to give you a check for nothing. Only because I love you, and I want to bless you, and I want to show my favor towards you. Now, that's what grace is. That's what, if you, if you hear the term unmerited favor, that's what it means. There's no merit in it. There's no reason behind it. There's nothing you have done to earn it. The only possible explanation is that God loves you so much that He's going to give you something great that you don't deserve. That's what the word grace means. The Bible tells us that our God is a God of grace. That Jesus was full of truth and grace. This morning, can I tell you that God is a God of grace. A God of triumphant grace. In the Old Testament, though we don't really see the term grace, I don't think the term grace comes until Ezra. I think the book of Ezra is the first time we even see the word grace in the Old Testament. We still see the theme of grace because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But in the Old Testament, God being gracious basically meant God's kindness and God's favor. An example of where we might have seen that is when the the woman Rahab in Jericho uh, was given, if you will, the picture of salvation when she let down the red cord and Uh, And God destroyed everybody in the town and all the people of the town except for her and her family. We see there the the act of graciousness, of kindness of God towards people. In the New Testament, grace kind of begins to take on the full meaning. We begin to understand the kindness of God. And it is stressed as having one and only one motivation. God's all-consuming love. He loves us. Why? We don't know. He just does. Not because of anything we've done, but because He is good. Not because of anything we've done to, to earn it or to merit it or to put us in a place where God can finally love us. The Bible says God commanded His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand that God loves sinners? God loves every single soul that has ever existed. Even those that are lost and that are going to go to hell if they don't accept His amazing grace. He loves them. He loved you before you were a Christian. God does not decide to love us when we decide that we're going to be lovable. He loves us, period. Now, don't misunderstand the fact that God loves you 
into thinking that therefore you're saved. You have to accept His love. You have to accept Him into your life. He has to be the Lord of your life. He has to have total control and reign over your life. You have to be willing to say, God, because You love me, I'm going to turn away from my own ways and from my own understanding and from my selfish, sinful way of life and I'm going to follow You and You will be my God. As we sang this morning, You have my heart completely. What else can I give God but my heart? And this is primarily what it is that He wants. But in the New Testament, we see the kindness of God, the the graciousness of God stressed having only one motivating factor, and that is God's all-consuming love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God does love the people of this world. I've got a long ways to go this morning in only 30 minutes. I love the grace of God. I want to just take a, just a quick detour and say this. If God loves the people of this world, church, we have to learn to love the people of this world too. I am not talking about justifying sin and pretending that there's no problems in this world. But I'm telling you, the, the, the attitude of a lot of Christians is the attitude of, uh, 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 of the modern day rest of the armies of the world. Just destroy all our enemies. God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful God didn't destroy me because I was His enemy. You see, He led the way for us. He said, bless those that curse you and persecute you. Bless them. To bless your enemies. He said, if you only love the people that love you, don't don't the tax collectors do that? In other words, what he's saying is that's the same type of love the rest of the world shows. But God says His love's deeper than that. And I promise you this, on the authority of the Word of God, that church, if we're going to impact the world, if we're going to impact our culture, I know the world's not going to change. I know it's not our job to change the world, but we can impact it. And if we're going to impact the world, if we're going to impact the culture, if we're going to make a difference, it's going to come through understanding God wants to show the love and grace of God through us. He said that in the same passage, uh, John chapter 3, about uh, Him loving the world, he, He says this, For the Son did not come to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. And that he that believes on the Son will not be condemned. But listen, here's what it says. He that does not believe it, is condemned already. Now just be honest with yourself. Before you were saved, the majority of you would not have acknowledged you were condemned. But in the depths of your heart, you were and you knew it. I would argue with every single one of you until you had no other words to say, because I was that type of person. I would have won the argument. And I would have convinced you that I was a morally upstanding citizen and that my way was just as legitimate as your way. And I would have went to bed that night like I did every other night of my life, empty and condemned. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
We can forget that. We can just preach and, and, and breathe this, the, the wrath and the punishment to come and we forget that it's the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance. We serve a good God. I'll tell you, that day I got saved, it just, it, I had a realization that God was real, but the thing that tore me apart was I realized He loved me. That He would forgive me. I didn't need anybody to convince me what a terrible person I was. I already knew. But the fact that a good, perfect, holy God could love somebody like me, it broke me to pieces. And I'm telling you, 11 and a half years ago, I've never been the same since. It's the goodness of God that lead us, leads us to repentance. Grace is not just something that God does. It is part of the character of God. For us to fully understand God, we've got to fully understand grace. And for us to understand grace, we've got to look at the nature of God. But grace is part of God. It's not just something He gives. It's not just something He does. He is a God of grace. The entire work of Christ in coming to earth, dying for sinners, and then raising on the third day and being crowned with glory, is said by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 2.9 that it was done by the grace of God. All of it. The grace of God brought Jesus to earth. The grace of God brought Him to the cross. The grace of God brought Him out of the tomb. And the grace of God crowned Him on glory. The grace of God is woven in every single thing that we believe. Right here. What is the grace? God's unmerited favor. God didn't find a certain group of people that were better than the rest of the world and decide, well, I'll work with these folks. It is the grace, unmerited favor of a loving God who, by the way, offers His grace to every kindred, tongue, and race, man, woman, boy, or child, regardless of what sins they've been in, regardless of their, what their lifestyle. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. He offers a change through the saving power of the grace of Almighty God. It is available for everyone. God's grace is expressed in a wide variety of forms. I'm going to go through these quickly and then get to the, the, the major point of this morning's sermon, the God of all grace. His grace is expressed in a variety of forms. We see the idea of common grace, and that's what I was talking about, that God's grace is poured out on all men, regardless of their spiritual condition. I already told you Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, because He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is God's common grace. We see God shows us favor at all times. That God has a very common grace that He gives to all of us. We could, we could give testimony upon testimony and spend the rest of the day here talking about times that we think God was gracious in our lives before we were saved. I was rebellious against God. I had absolutely no care in the world for any of God's laws. I wrote my own laws. I did it my own way before I was a Christian. 
And I can show you times in my life when I look back on it, when in my rebellion and in my wicked state of being an enemy with God, that He still showed me grace and He still took care of me and He still protected me because God knew He had a plan for my life and that one day my eyes would be opened and that one day I would accept Him for who He was and my life would be changed forever and eternity would be different and I would testify to the greatness of His amazing grace. And even then, He showed me grace. And I am sure we could have testimony upon testimony this morning of others standing up and saying, you're right, preacher. God has given me grace at times in my life when I had no care to serve Him at all. This is the common grace that God gives to every creature, every man, woman, boy, and child on earth. We see saving grace. The grace that has the power to save us from our sins. We see the securing grace of God. That being God's ability to keep us and not to let us go. His ability to secure us after we've come to Him by faith. We see the sanctifying grace. That process by where God continually makes us into His image. Can I tell you this morning, if you're a child of God, God's desire for you is to be more like Him today than you were last year. And as we continue to mature and grow in grace, there's a sanctifying grace that changes us and makes us more like Him. There's a serving grace where God gives us the power to serve Him. Where God gives us the strength to to, to witness and, and to live a life that is glorifying to Him. And, and, and that is of service towards others. And we see a sustaining grace. As they talked about this morning, they didn't use the term sustaining grace, but that's what they were talking about. God's ability to sustain us when it feels like we're so weak, we're going to fall over, and we can't take another step, and we can't breathe another breath, and we can't pray another prayer, and we can't read another verse, and we're just exhausted. Listen. If you've been saved any length of time, you've been there at some stage in your life. And believe me, brother or sister, it wasn't your strength that kept you from falling to pieces. You would have fallen to pieces. But His grace is weaving into everything that we do because He is the God of all grace. His grace is amazing. His grace is nearly unspeakable. I've made the decision to spend eight to ten weeks trying to lift up the grace of God. And I am still yet convinced that after ten weeks there will be things I haven't said. There will be things I haven't discussed. There will be amazing truths and application to our life that we won't cover. Because His grace is so vast. But we will do our best. Do we really need it? Do we really need the grace of God? You better believe we do. You better believe we do. I'll tell you, when we forget about grace and we, and we lose the realization of how much we need grace, we begin to become self-sufficient in ourselves. We think that we're doing so well. We think that God has to bless us. 
because we've did this or that thing, or we've made so many services in a month, or we've prayed so many prayers in a day, or we've read so many scriptures in a week. It's so easy to get it backwards. Because when you really understand grace, we do those things because He first loved us. This morning in Sunday school, they discussed Jesus saying in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, we don't keep His commandments so that we can position ourselves where He has to bless us. We keep His commandments because we love Him. And believe me, when we understand the grace of God and how much He loves us, our heart will begin to bubble over with love for Him. And you begin to see the real, true, living, authentic relationship God desires with His people it is a relationship of loving grace. He loves us. We need His grace. I've learned in my life, it's funny how there will be times where I think that I, you know, I'm doing well spiritually. And, and I don't want to exaggerate here and, uh, and make it sound like Things were terrible because they weren't. But in my life, there have been times when I was doing well spiritually. I mean, doing all the right things. If you want to make a checklist, I had her done, including the personal things. I'm not just talking going through the motions, the personal things. But it's in those times of my life where I would begin to actually think that it wasn't the grace of God. I mean, it was kind of this deal that you got going on with God where if you do all these things, you just have all this power. And then there would be times in my life where it would seem like things would fall apart and I would, I, would watch, I would show up and preach and I'd watch God move and do things. And God would begin to teach me, Son, it's always my grace. And quite frankly, you needed more grace than you thought you did back then because you didn't realize you needed grace. I still gave you grace. Because I'm a God of grace. But what you thought was giving you the power, what you thought was doing the work, had nothing to do with what you thought. I actually had to give you a double dose of grace to deal with your arrogance and your ignorance. You see, we need God's grace all the time. You need it today, you need it tomorrow, you need it to get saved, you need it to serve God, you need it in everything that you do. We don't just need God's grace when we feel like we're weak. We need God's grace all the time. And so I ask the question, do we need it? Yes, we do. We couldn't live without it. I want to show you this morning why we need it. Grace is the source of, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, He says it again, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Two times the Apostle Paul makes this simple statement, for by grace you have been saved. Do we need grace? We sure do. You can't even be saved without grace. You know, that's important to know. There's nothing wrong with baptism. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with certain of the sacraments and and, uh, taking communion and some of those things that we do as a church and and other churches take it to even more. they, They do more of them. But listen, baptism does not save you. Confirmation does not save you. Going through a series of classes and then simply agreeing that it makes sense and you agree does not save you. Going through communion or sacraments or any of these things, I'm not saying them in and of themselves they are wrong, but they do not save us. You cannot continually pray certain prayers as the Catholic Church often teaches to make sure that you're saved. You are saved by the grace of God if you're saved. And it's by God's grace alone. All of our works. He said, it's not of works. Period. It's not half works, half grace. It's not we do 10%, God does 90%, or we do 90%, God does 10%. It's all God's grace. We can't be saved without it. Jonathan Edwards made one of the greatest single punchline statements I've ever heard on this topic. And here's what he said. The only thing that man brings to his salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's what you bring to your salvation, the sin that makes it necessary. But God brings the grace that makes it available. You can't even be saved without grace. Without the grace of God, we are hopelessly doomed to an eternity to pay for our sins. To be held accountable for the wages of our sin, which the wages of sin is death. But the mercy and grace of God stepped in and made a way out. We see that grace plays a role in salvation. Grace also plays a role in the call of God. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. Galatians 1.15 It pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. This is the Apostle Paul writing. How many of you know the Apostle Paul? His name used to be Saul. Changed it when God got a hold of him, knocked him off of his prideful horse, and saved his soul from hell. And Paul became one of the greatest apostles and writers of the New Testament. Notice he says this. This is the amazing sovereignty of God. It's a very difficult doctrine to wrap our minds around. But what did he say? God separated me from my mother's womb. That's what Paul said. That's how he saw it. And yet, it was not till he was a full-grown man, a Pharisee of Pharisees, 
in His own terms, the chiefest of sinners. That's how Paul referred to himself. The chiefest of sinners. It wasn't until years had gone by that he actually answered and heard that call of God. But he said it was in my mother's womb. God had a plan for my life. From the beginning of ages, God had an eternal purpose for me. Not only do we need the grace of God in salvation, but he said God called me through his grace. That calling of God, it's his grace. You may have heard me say this a couple of times before, but you know when we get saved, it sort of feels like we're looking for God. And finally, God got lucky that we decided we wanted to look for him. No. God's grace began to stir your dead, sinful heart. And God's grace began to work in that mind of yours. And you began going to sleep at night thinking, well, what if there is a God? Why? Because God's grace is even needed in the call. When we don't deserve it. You didn't do anything. When I'm telling you, when believe me, when God started working on my life, I had did nothing to deserve anything from God. Nothing. And yet I'm going to bed at night thinking, I wonder if there is a God. What if there is? And over a period of a month and a half, it felt to me like I was really looking for God. I mean, I was on this search. It was God's grace. Changing me from the inside out. Bringing me to a place where then His grace could eventually save me. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's grace is part of all of it. I, I just want to preach the entire eight weeks this morning. I just want to let you stay here till midnight tonight and hammer this out. Because it's amazing. When you understand, and, and, and I'm telling you, there's something about it when you see it and the light bulb goes off. It's like you can breathe. It's refreshing. I don't have to fear. I'm going to make it. Not because of anything I'm going to do. I'm going to make it because His grace is sufficient. That's why I'm going to make it. My God is big enough. He is greater than all my sins. His grace is sufficient. And when you see it, all of a sudden it's like this pressure to stay in a place where God can love you. You realize it's never been that way. You've been deceived. God's loved you because He loves you because He's God. He's good. We see the need for grace and salvation. We see that grace plays a role in the call. We see in Romans 3.24 that grace is needed for justification. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified by His grace. I do not have the time to cover it this morning. This is why we're going to have an entire sermon series on a lot of these points. Especially when we look at the greatest stage grace has ever trod. And we look at the cross. We're justified by His grace. You know what it means to be justified? It's important that you understand this. See, the devil will come against you and tell you you're not justified. What is justified? It basically means right. It it, it sort of deals with the idea of reconciliation. It deals with the idea of everything equals. Here was what was done wrong. There needs to be a payment. Once the payment is sufficient, you are then justified. It's paid for. It's done. 
we were justified by grace through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that God saw that we had a debt. What was the debt? Death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we owed. And Christ said, I'll pay your debt for you. Because legally, there's already been a judgment. The wages of sin is death. I can't change that. Legally, it's already done. Something, someone has to die for this thing. I can't just wipe away, and we're going to see this when we look at this. I can't wait to get to the greatest stage grace has ever trod. It's going to be an awesome part of this series. God said, I cannot just wipe away everything. But I want to wipe it away for you. So how do I do that? God said, I'll send my son. That's how. And I'm going to lay on him everything that you owe. And he's going to pay it. And he's going to bear it. And he's going to bear it alone. But when he does, and when it's finished, God says, now as God, I can fairly and truly proclaim justified, paid for, done in full. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm telling you, we stand justified before God because of His grace. Unmerited favor. He paid for it. And this morning, you're justified in the sight of God. And by the way, this is why this is important. A lot of people want us to measure up. And there's a lot of folks that you might not feel like you measure up to. And the devil might come in and say, you don't measure up. You're not a very good Christian. Well, guess what? The only person that you have to stand in front of and actually give an account for is God. And God says, you're justified. Romans 8 says, if he's the one that justifies, then who else can condemn? It's a very legitimate question to ask. If God's the one who decides who's justified and not, then why do I care if you don't think I am justified? He says, I am. Devil, you're a liar. I know I fall. I know that I have weaknesses. I know that I struggle with sin. I know that I'm in a body of flesh. His grace is greater. I have surrendered my heart to the God of grace. And I do not have to earn justification. I don't have to earn forgiveness. I do not have to earn God's love. He has lavished it upon me with His grace. We see we even need grace to have faith. Acts 18.27 says, And when He desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive Him. This is talking about Paul, I believe. And when He arrived, He greatly helped those, listen to this, who had believed through grace. They believed through grace. They believed through grace. That tells us something about faith in God. It is bigger than a knowledge, cognitive decision that He is real and therefore I should serve Him. It's bigger than that. We cannot convince men solely on the basis of intellect and think that once we have intellectually cornered them into a place 
of having to concede they're wrong, God is right, and therefore they're going to start going to church. That's not salvation. You have to have the grace of God to even allow you to have the real faith to believe in God. We need God's grace in salvation. We need God's grace in the call. We need God's grace in justification. We need God's grace for faith. We see that it's God's grace that provides the forgiveness of sin. In Him, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to what? The riches of His grace. It's all His grace. All of it. From the start, to the middle, to the next point, to the next point, all the way to the end, the Alpha and Omega, from the first letter to the last, it is all God's grace. We need it for the forgiveness of sins. We see in 2 Thessalonians that we need it for comfort and hope. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That word consolation, it means comfort. Same type of idea as peace. God's grace gives us peace. God's grace is where our source of peace and hope come from. Now, if God is the source of grace, and grace is the source of all these things I mentioned, salvation, the call of God, justification, faith, the forgiveness of sins, everlasting peace, comfort, and hope, If grace is the source of those, and God is the source of grace, then we can never have any of those anywhere outside of God. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You cannot have, I don't care, how peaceful of a person you may seem to be. I don't care what other religion people may claim makes their lives better. You cannot have salvation. You cannot have the call of God. You cannot have justification before God. You cannot have faith. You cannot have hope and peace. You cannot have any of those things anywhere outside of the one and only Almighty God. He is the source of it all. This morning, can I tell you that grace is what separates God from all other gods. In our final, in, in, in the original text, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, I said and read that God is the grace of, uh, the God of all grace. You know, this is what really separates our God from other gods. And it is amazing to me how we as people, myself included, When I say this, believe me, I point out here and I've got three fingers coming right back at myself. But we are so guilty of making our God like all the other gods of the world, little g. And He's not. He is a God of grace. And that fact that He loved us while we were yet sinners, it separates Him from every other man-made God in this world. He's the only God that wasn't made. He made all that there is. 
everything that we see, all of creation He created. He is the one Almighty God. But you look at the false gods of the world, those that believe in, in uh, Islam, those that, that believe in, in uh, Buddha, those that believe in, in, in Hinduism, and, and, and we could name uh, an entire list. The thing that separates the true God from every other religion in the world is this thing called grace. You, I study other religions, and most of you probably don't. It's just not interesting to you, and it's not part of what you do, but I do. And one of the things that's amazing, it's a constant throughout every, it doesn't matter what it is, from different scales for different religions, it is a works-based relationship. If you do good things, you get good karma. If you do bad things, you come back as a mouse. If you do good things, you come back as an eagle. It ain't true. You die believing that, you'll spend eternity in hell. That's the truth. But see, that's the way man-made religion works. We like to have some role in it so that we can control how our God has to treat us. In Christianity, it's not works-based. God says, I'm the one that will give you the strength. I'm the one that will call you. I'm the one that will save you. I'm the one that will sustain you. I'm the one that's going to do it all from the start to the finish. And once you understand and learn that it's my grace and it's not by your works, friends, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your life and you're going to learn how to just trust God and thank God that He is who He says He is and that He is greater than every other obstacle that we're ever going to face because our God is greater. And I tell you this morning, He has enough grace for you. For your sins yesterday, for your sins today, and for your sins forever. He has enough for you. Whatever you're going through this morning, God has enough grace to meet your need. Grace gives us comfort that we're secure in the arms of our grace-giving God. Five minutes and I'm done this morning. When I really got a hold of grace was about um, about four years ago. I sort of understood the principles of grace. And really it was over a year and a half process. But it started about four years ago. And... <clears throat> Anybody that, that has known me my, most of my Christian life, there's a large handful of you that have that can testify to what I'm saying here this morning is true. I've always been, since I've been saved, very obedient to the Lord. I don't miss church. And I'm, I'm just telling you, me. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, the church that I came from, we had prayer meeting before church, before Sunday school, Every single week. We live 30 minutes away. You could probably count on one hand the number of times I missed a prayer meeting in six years. Very, very faithful to God in everything that I could possibly do. But I never really had an understanding of grace. And about four years ago, God began to deal with me. And over a year and a half period, I just began to study this grace and some of the stuff I'm going to try to show you over the next couple of months. 
there's no way I can really get out of this mouth what happened in me when I saw God's grace. I mean, it changed everything in my life. Everything. And I cannot, what I, what I especially cannot um, explain is the pressure that came off of my shoulders. And you might think that's strange. Because, I mean, I was there every single service. But I live every single week under incredible pressure to try to do it as perfect as I possibly could so that God could use me. And when I saw grace, it was like, the, it was like someone just took 200 pounds off of my shoulders and, and I realized, I'm safe. God loves me. And God is going to see me through. And even if I do fail, His grace is bigger than my failures. Now, I want to share that story with you because there are a lot of people who have falsely thought, well, if, if you really understand grace or if you preach grace, people go live any way they want to live. No, you won't. If you're using grace as an excuse to live any old way you want to live. You don't, you've never even seen grace. You've taken some canned word, statement, God's unmerited favor, and you think you understand grace. But I promise you this, when you see it, it'll change your life. And I mean this. All of a sudden, I just wanted to be even all the more faithful. See, what changed was, I mentioned it earlier, I was no longer doing stuff to try to keep myself in a position where God could use me. But I was just wanting to love Him back because I realized He first loved me. And it, my relationship with God became so much more intimate. And I quit living so fearful that, well, what if this happens? What if, what if I go through a bad period of months could I pastor then? What, 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 what happens if I, you know, it, just all this stuff continually going on. What happens if? What happens if? God began to show me nothing happens if. Because my grace is sufficient for you, Joplin. And if you'll just keep loving me, everything's going to be okay. If you'll just keep loving me and spending time with me, I'm going to keep loving you, son. And I'm telling you, it works. His grace sets us free from the bondage of self-works. This morning, you don't have to work to come to God. Grace is waiting for you where you are. As our worship team comes... There once was a man, a pastor, that was called into a home of a lady. And she wanted to understand the grace of God. She kind of wanted to understand how God pursues us and, and what the preacher meant about all of this. And He sat down and he asked her if she would first get him a cup of tea. So she went to the kitchen and she made a cup of hot tea and 
brought it back in and set it down before the man, and he never did pick up the cup. He continued to talk to her a little bit, never directly answering her question about grace and, and, and God's grace and how we receive God. And a few minutes went by, and he looked at the woman, and he said, Could you get me a cup of tea, please? And she said, It's right there. I, I, I got it for you. He said, Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Continued his conversation further. A few minutes would pass, and he'd ask her the same question. Ma'am, could you go get me a cup of tea? She didn't understand what he was doing, but she knew he was doing something. And she would just answer his question each time. It's right here on the coffee table. He would talk a little bit more, and he would ask her, Ma'am, could you get me a cup of tea? And from... He tells a story like this. All of a sudden, it hit that woman. The tea's been there the whole time. All he's got to do is take it. And that's how it is with God. God's there the whole time. Just waiting for us to open up the doors of our heart and say, God, have your way. He sits there patiently, lovingly, graciously and kindly. Just like that cup of tea waiting for you to pick it up and take hold of it. This morning, God's grace is available for you. I want to talk to about three people groups right now as we close. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you, you're a believer and you believe that you're saved and you believe you're going to heaven. You're just really going through some struggles right now. God wants you to know His grace is sufficient. That His ability to sustain you through this, His ability to bring you out of it, and His ability to hold you up is bigger than every obstacle that will ever try to stick its face in front of you. And this morning maybe you need to come and cry out to God and just thank God for His grace and ask God to really encourage you, help you to see that His grace is sufficient for your need. Secondly, maybe this morning you're a Christian and you're really not going through any major struggles. I just want to encourage you this morning to stop and reflect on the goodness of God. Stop and, and just stop and remember for a minute. Wow, I'm telling you, I know. I've been there, I've done it. It's so easy for us to think we've come a long ways by what we've done. Just stop and, and, and reflect on the reality. God's grace has played such a huge role in your life. And let Him know you, you appreciate it. You might want to come down and worship. You might want to just raise hands. You might want to sit right there in your seat and just kneel and pray and say, God, I'm so thankful for Your grace. Where would I be without it? And then thirdly this morning, maybe you're here and you've never really accepted God's grace. Maybe you're here this morning and if you died today, you're convinced you'd spend eternity in hell. You've never given your life to God. When I talked about turning from your own ways and from your own understanding and repenting of, of living your own life and following God and, and, and listening to His commandments and obeying the Lord and giving God your heart, you can say honestly right now, I've never done that. I've never surrendered my life to God. And preacher, today's the day God's dealing with me to do that. If that's you, I want you to come here in a moment when I give you an invitation. I want you to come and I want you to find a place to kneel. 
get me. And just say, preacher, would you pray with me? And I'll pray with you. And we'll make sure that if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, that you have the opportunity to do that this morning and that you don't leave the same way you came in. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your grace. And God, we pray that as we begin this, this study on You and Your grace, the God of all grace, God, we pray that You'd help us to really see You for who You are. God, we pray that You'd refresh our hearts with the reality of how great and how good is the God that we serve. Lord, I pray right now You'd move all across this room. Lord, I'm done. I've said everything I believe You wanted me to say this morning. I pray I've said nothing more. Move on our hearts. Encourage Your people to respond this morning. And God, if there be any here that are lost, Lord, right now move on their hearts to get up out of their seat and make their way down one of these altars to grab a hold of me and let me know they need to pray. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.